Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Criminally Disturbed. I am Paul. And I'm Jamie. And although this is not a special Criminally Disturbed short stories, we have a Criminally Disturbed double feature. Yes. Because we found a couple of stories that are short, uh, but they're not funny. No, mine's not. Mine is not. Uh, so they're basically short stories, but uh, they're long enough to make one full episode. And so I'm going to do one. And I'm going to do one. That's right. And everybody will be doubly excited to hear both of us. Sure. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah, okay. I'm full of shit. <laughs> but first, we wanted to address a couple of things. Yeah, we have some business. We do. First of all, if you guys are loyal listeners and you have listened to some episodes prior to this one, then you may have heard our story of the Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Mm -hmm. And you may, if you listen to it all the way through, you may have heard that it was a, that we recorded that on Mother's Day and my Mother's Day present to my beautiful wife was I booked us a stay at the Crescent Hotel at the end of June. Mm -hmm. Well, then inflation happened and gas prices soared and we, you know, got to looking at things and we had that trip planned and we also had a trip planned with our little ones. Because what we like to do is we like to take a couple of trips a year, not expensive, right. buoyant trips. But we like to do a trip, just me and Paul, because we are believers in, you know, we need to, what's the word? Um, What is the, what the word am I trying to say? We need to get away and be able to relax and appreciate each other. Right. And recharge. And and, recharge. And then, of course, our other trip that we hold during the year is with the kids. Right. So. Now, that trip could mean with the older kids. It could mean with the younger kids, or it could mean with all of the kids. Right. Yeah. And the only thing with the older kids is they work, so now that they're adulting, right, it's harder for them to get away from work. But, right. But, you know. So we had that trip mm-hmm. uh, planned, and then we had the, the trip with the kids to go to uh, the Houston slash Galveston, Texas area. And with everything that was going on with inflation and things like that, we felt that, you know, we probably wasn't going to be able to do both. And so we figured that the kids are more important and they needed a break as well. And so that's what we chose is we chose to take the kids. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to go to the Crescent Hotel. We are just not right now. We had to get that done we wanted to make sure that we could afford to give the kids a a good vacation and we just got back Mm -hmm. today as a matter of fact hours ago uh, they had a great time everybody did no one cried (laughs) no one got bored that's what we were just talking about before we came on air and uh, so it was a good trip Mm -hmm. it's a really good trip got a little sunburn here and there but uh it was a really good trip And we did have a listener email in and uh, ask us about our trip to the Crescent Hotel. And I want to say I appreciate you writing in Mm -hmm. and emailing us and the very kind words that you said to us in the email. 
and uh, definitely encourage you to continue to listen and continue to write in. We did respond to the email that uh, if anybody's wondering, yes, we did respond. <laughs> right. Um, um, we asked her about her experience experiences that she might have had while she was at the Crescent. Right. Because she did also reference a picture that she took while she was there. Right. And so we asked her if she could send it to us and, you know, with her permission, after, with her we, hear permission. Back, after we hear back from her, we would like to share absolutely her experience and her picture. Right. So. So. And if anybody else has anything they want to share with us, share away. Yeah, uh, for sure. So we will definitely let everybody know uh, when we are going to take that trip because we do plan on recording uh, on that trip. Mm-hmm. And so just stay tuned for that. Now, the other bit of business that we have is that Criminally Disturbed is now on Patreon. We do have a Patreon page. Mm-hmm. And we did this for a few different reasons. But if you would notice, we do not have ads in our podcast. And for the short time period right now, as we can foresee, we don't really look at doing ads anytime in the near future. Uh, so why create a Patreon? Well, because it gets expensive yeah. doing podcasting and things like that. And so, um, and, and it's a lot of uh, time that, uh, that it consumes us and things like this. And so basically what the Patreon page is for, uh, we will like the bonus episode that we did of the uh, Criminally Disturbed true crime short stories uh, anything like that bonus episode wise will be exclusive to patreon subscribers only going forward and uh, these ep- these regular episodes will be uploaded uh, the day before they come out on places like apple and uh, spotify and places like that so early access to regular episodes and Full access to the bonus episodes is what we're offering. Now, the reason for the Patreon is for those that would, you know, like to help out with growing the podcast into something even more. We have some ideas that we've been talking about within ourselves, just kind of throwing around some ideas. And one of the, we want to do another segment, kind of like true crime short stories, but it's a it's a little bit of a spinoff that we talked about, and so uh, we're looking in, into that. But it's just a, a way for those out there that would like to. You don't have to, obviously, but that would like to donate to the podcast. So we encourage you to please go and subscribe. If you choose to sign up for the Patreon, we have three tiers available. We have a $3, $5, and $10 tier. Any tier that you subscribe to, they all have the same benefits. So no tier is better than the other. We want everybody to have the same access. Mm-hmm. And with inflation for people, if they chose a $3 tier, we felt like they should have everything like everybody else. Right. So. We don't feel that anybody should have anything more than anyone else. Everyone is created equal. Go by there, search for Criminally Disturbed on the Patreon uh, website. So, enough of that. We can uh, get started on our what we have today, which is our double feature. 
and I think we decided that I'm going to go first. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I don't know why things like this get to me, but they do. This happened very recently, this year, a couple months ago, and I felt like, you know, I may need to talk about this just a little bit, but, you know, my dad, when, uh, let's see, that's, that's been years ago, 30, I guess 30 years ago, my dad had back surgery, and uh, I remember when he came home from the hospital, and uh, they he had a hospital bed in his room and things because they said that he had to be in one of those beds. And then, you know, my uncles had back surgery and things, and I've just never seen anything come, you know, anything good come from a back surgery. Now, I do know a guy that I, you know, has done some work for us. He owns a company that's done some work for us and things at the, you know, in the construction industry. He had back surgery, and he's actually doing pretty good. He's getting around and, and things, and he, he's saying that he's getting better every day. So, and you know that me and you deal with a lot of back problems mm-hmm. um, and things. And, uh, you know, every now and again, the sciatic nerve messes up, and, man, I just can't really walk all that good, can't stand up straight. Hurts. It I mean, it hurts bad. Well, we're going to talk about a man by the name of Michael Lewis, and he had some back problems. He had a lot of back problems. And so he was actually scheduled uh, to have a back surgery on May 19th of 2022. The surgery was being performed in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma by Dr. Preston Phillips one of the better doctors in the area from what I understand after after kind of doing some research and things he's, he's his name was out there for these now he's not I mean he, he you know wasn't very old mm-hmm. um, I think he was older than me but he wasn't real old you know he still has you know a lot of I guess a lot of surgeries left in him mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess so May 19th Michael Lewis had the surgery uh, he was in the recovery process for about a week. He was discharged and sent home on May the 24th of this year. Now, after his discharge, Lewis would still have what he would describe as a, as a lot of pain. He would call in to the doctor's office, his main office, and be, you know, complaining of a lot of back pain and things. And uh, I think it even maybe may have even said that it was probably a little worse. Mm-hmm. But again, he just had surgery, you know, so it's a possibility it could feel worse. But I guess once it heals, you never really know. So on May the thirty-first, uh, Mr. Lewis actually came into Dr. Phillips' office, and uh, you know, Dr. Phillips actually gave him a once-over, kind of checked everything out, made sure everything was healing properly, and everything seemed to be okay. Now. Not a lot of said on what medications would were prescribed or if any were prescribed on the 31st or whatever. I don't know. Not a lot of said there. I think there's a lot of investigation that's still kind of going on with this. However, the following day, Lewis actually called the doctor's office back again and requested additional treatment for more pain. He was having even more pain. Now, no one can really 
describe someone else's pain. The only pain you know is basically the pain that you're going through or you have went through Mm -hmm. or things like that. And so I can't say for sure how he was feeling. Was he having all of this pain? Was he not? Was he just trying to get more medications? Was he, was something actually happening inside there that's coming undone or something? I don't know. Nobody really knows what somebody is going through. However, Lewis was not really getting the answers that he was hoping for. He was just he was getting frustrated about the whole thing. This thing has been going on, and he felt like Dr. Preston Phillips was just not doing what he needed to to help him or give him the treatment after the surgery mm-hmm. that he says that he needed. All he really would say is that he just had more pain. So on June the 1st, after he called back to the doctor's office complaining of more pain and he needed more treatment, he didn't really get the answer that he needed. So on that day, Lewis would visit a local gun store at about 2 p.m., and he would purchase a 223 caliber AR-15 semi-automatic rifle. Now, Police Chief Wendell Franklin also stated that Lewis also purchased a 40 caliber Smith & Wesson semi-automatic handgun on May the 29th. So this is a couple of days before, and he purchased that at a local pawn shop. So shortly before 5 p.m., Lewis entered the doctor's office building from a door on the second floor of the parking garage. Now, we're going to stop right there. Mm-hmm. You can kind of see that this is going south real fast over some, some treatments he's not getting or the level of service that he thinks that he is entitled to versus the back pain that he's experiencing. I have no doubt in my mind that he has some back pain. No doubt whatsoever. But to take it to this level is, do you, do you think that that's a little extreme to take it to this level? Yes, because I think if you're taking it to this level, I mean, what are you going to accomplish? Yeah. It's not going to fix your back. No, you're right. It's not. It's right. You're right. So in the office, there's a physician assistant and uh, an avid hunter named Gannon Gill. He was about to finish up with a patient when he and the patient heard a loud pop. Initially, uh, both of them were startled by this noise. Both looked at each other like, what was that? You know, basically looking at each other like, what the hell was that? It wasn't long before basically that question that they asked each other was answered. Okay, there was another one, another pop. And that skilled hunter kind of knew right then Mm -hmm. it was gunfire. Now, Gil turned to his patient, and he, he just basically said, let's go. And he said, I don't think that this is good. I'm sure that there was probably some other noises going on, maybe some, some hollering, mm-hmm. some screaming. I, I don't know, but I wasn't there. But he led his patient out of that exam room. They crouched down, and they're moving. Uh, there, there's, it's like a maze in there, passageways, hallways, you know, there's nurses stations and stuff. They're ducking behind. They're just trying to get out of there the best way that they can. Gunshots could still be heard as Gil and his patient came across others that were hiding. The 
best way that they could anyway. These, you know, these people were looking for anywhere they could to hide. Mm -hmm. The group joined Gill, and he quickly and quietly led them out of the office door and into the parking garage for safety. Now, it was at this moment that Gill pulled out his cell phone, and he called his wife. And his first words to her were, don't freak out, I'm alive. One man in the group told Gill that he and his wife did encounter the gunman. And Gill said in a phone interview with reporters later on, quote, the shooter told him, talking about the man that encountered, you know, and his wife to leave, and he was not there for them. Now, Gill did not, he realized that he left his keys inside, obviously, so he told his wife, bring my spare key to my car, which I don't know, I don't know that, that I would ask you to come up there. You know what I'm saying? Considering what's going on. Well, that, and my thing is, at that moment, I wouldn't be worried about a key to a car. Yeah. Well, he wanted to get the hell out of there. Well, yeah, yeah. but, you know, live through the situation first sure. and then worry about the key. Right. So, the first 911 call came in at 4.52 p.m. from someone who was not even in or around the building at all. They were actually on a video chat with a doctor at the location. Mm. You know how they do the Zoom calls mm -hmm. now with doctors and stuff? That's what was going on. So the doctor told the person that was on the video chat to call 911 and stated that, that there had been a shooting. So at 4.53 p.m., the 911 call center lit up like a Christmas tree, they said. Calls were about the shooter in the area of the St. Francis Hospital campus on the second floor. At 4.55 p.m., a caller clarified that the shooter was in the Natalie Medical Building, which is where Dr. Preston Phillips' office was. The first police officer arrived on the scene at 4.56 p.m., and at 4.57, they entered the building on the first floor. Making their way up to the second floor, the officers began identifying themselves as the Tulsa Police Department, and they were searching. At 4.58, just 39 seconds after the first police officer enters the building, the approaching officers, now only feet away from the room where the suspect was, heard a gunshot. Officers believe now that this gunshot was Michael Lewis taking his own life. So... The police pressed forward and located a victim on the floor in an exam room. They notified medics of the survivor who had been shot. Officers continued to move forward and found the suspect in another room. The suspect had been pronounced dead at the scene. Near the suspect's feet, this is crazy, right at the suspect's feet, police located a woman hiding under a desk. She was there hiding from the suspect. She was not injured, but was in the room when the suspect took his own life. Mm. Wow. Can you even imagine? Mm -mm. He didn't even know she was there. I mean, if you were just going to eventually just take your own life after doing all that, then why not just do that at home right. instead of coming up there and involving all of those innocent people? Yeah. I mean, look, you know, what is your, what is your end game here? 
What right. are you wanting to come from this? Because you, you know? accomplished nothing. That you have accomplished nothing. Mm-hmm. Also near the deceased suspect was another victim. Unfortunately, this victim was already gone. Mm. The officers rescued the hiding woman and continued to search and unfortunately found another victim down in an exam room. Also in the exam room was an elderly woman who was unharmed. Now, the elderly woman we're going to come back to. Officers continued to search and clear the office building, and they did locate the deceased body of Dr. Preston Phillips Mm. in one of the other exam rooms. The officers guided fire rescue and medics into the building to assist the victims by rendering aid to them. Uh, Once the building is cleared, officers began collecting evidence, which included 30 spent two twenty three bullet casings and seven forty caliber bullet casings. So he basically if he had a thirty round clip in the AR, uh he, he used them all. And uh mm. and then seven of the forty caliber, which that was a semi automatic, which it may have been a compact to only hold eight, I guess. But I know mine holds I think fifteen mm-hmm. in, in it, my forty. That's a lot of bullets though. You know, but can we take a minute? Um, obviously, I'm sure everybody has TVs or is on social media, mm-hmm. so they see what's going on with the Uvalde, 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 yeah, investigation. Mm-hmm. And oh lord, that was a mess, yeah. But can we commend these officers that showed up? Oh, yeah, and did what they were supposed to do with without thinking of themselves first right so that's the thing is just to kind of go back 452 the first 911 call came in and basically at 457 mm-hmm. five minutes mm-hmm. they were inside the building mm-hmm. 39 seconds later they heard the last gunshot right so I mean, in in five minutes. I know. Listen to what can happen just in five minutes because after the first shot rang out, that doctor that was on that video chat said, call 911, mm-hmm. which could have not been more than 30 seconds. The Tulsa Police Department, in this case, handled this, in my, in my personal opinion, and I'm, I'm assuming yours, mm-hmm. masterfully. Yes. As, as masterfully as this can go basically i mean these things are tragic no doubt about it but they reacted in a way that every police department needs to really react react yeah you know this way to these kinds of things yeah now i think that you're right i think you look at things like uvalde where you have and i'm just gonna say it i'm just gonna say it you have untrained Mm -hmm. officers basically and and that's the only thing that you can really kind of hold on to with that but a lot of those officers when you look at the uvalde tapes and things like this they were scared yeah they were scared which as most officers are right and i was going to say obviously i'm not a police officer so i'm not in their shoes but at the same time when they become police officers there's always that what if what if this happens always and I mean, obviously, when they go out, they always have that in their mind. What if this happens? Right. But when they take that oath, I would hope that the ones, if I was in a situation like that, the ones that would respond. Yeah. 
would be like the ones in Tulsa. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. However, officers like in, in Uvalde and things, when they're not trained properly mm-hmm. and they have that fear, then then the fear along with the you know lack of training mm-hmm. does not make very well you know uh, doesn't make the situation very well when they're having to go in and, right. and do that you know what i'm saying it was a clusterfuck it was, it I, was. there's no doubt about it in my mind nobody that, stepped forward right. and like took charge now you know there's a lot of things with the uvalde thing that they, they were arresting parents that were trying to get in and all this stuff like this listen parents i mean you gotta at at some point you know you can't just go rushing in there you can get other people killed right but i'm trying to see this both ways yeah i mean i can see the police officers like okay parents y'all got to stay out here y'all are making it worse but what if the parents are out there and they're seeing the police officers just standing around not doing shit yeah me as a parent i would be like get the fuck out my way i'm going in there and i'm getting my child and we've talked about this yeah i would absolutely load up right my my firearms and i'm going right whoever's in that school where our kids are are you know if the police are not in there by the time i get there Mm -hmm. i'm going in right i mean you know now of course, yes, I, I'm asking to be arrested at that point. Right. But at the same time, I'm going to do whatever I can, just like those parents in Uvalde were trying to do for their kids. Right. I'm going to do whatever I can for ours. Right. So, and not just ours. I mean, any kid that might be in that situation there any with of the our kids, kids. Any of the kids. No kid out there should that deserves what happened there. Right. However... Mm. There was nothing that was going to stop what happened. It was just, it should have been ended a lot sooner. Right. Yeah. It could have, it could have been. Now, again, the police, this has never happened there before. The lack of training. Yeah. And they were scared. And you can see it on the videos. And they you were can. scared. But when it first happened, when it very, when at the beginning, when it first happened, the I forgot who it was on that came on TV and we were like, oh, we trained for this and blah 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 blah. Well, then now you got the videos coming out and it's you're looking at it and you're like, oh, what fucking training? Right. I mean, yeah, we could have handled that better and we're not oh, police I officers, definitely, nor have we had training. I definitely, you know, I'd have my AR on one side and my pistol on the other side and I I'd go in. Right. I guarantee you, I go in and I would, yeah, I'd, and. I, just real quick to wrap this part up. Yeah. You know, obviously we support police officers. Absolutely. And we, we do know there's bad apples, unfortunately. Right. And I think what makes this situation so bad is maybe if when it first happened, the police officers came out and been like, look, we were unprepared for this. Admit it. Admit yeah. it that you were unprepared yep. and move on. But no, y'all. Don't like, try oh, to hide it. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And then not trying to hide stuff from um who was it they weren't wanting to give info to was it the fbi maybe it was somebody they weren't wanting to give their info to then it's like okay and, and the governor's like yeah no yeah we're yeah, yeah so, we're gonna greg abbott was like yeah we're gonna release this so you know i mean really they just kind of fucked themselves over oh, all yeah. the way around i mean so, you know it is what it is it is and and unfortunately 
kids and adults alike died in Uvalde. And unfortunately, some douchebag. Because of some dumbass. You know, now, this is kind of the same situation, except it doesn't involve kids. This involves adults. This involves doctors. This right. involves this involves people that save people's lives. Right. Okay. Um, but they did find a letter on the suspect. It contained details which led police to conclude that Lewis was there with the intent to kill Dr. Phillips mm. and anyone else who got in his way. Mm. The letter went on to state that Lewis blamed Dr. Phillips for the unbearable pain which he experienced after the surgery. So there's his self-described motive there. Still not a really, it's not a just, well, no motive was justifiable, but why not just find another fucking doctor? Yeah. If he weren't, he, if he wasn't well, answering you, get another opinion. Nobody's going to touch him with an open, with a fresh surgery like that. Uh, nobody's going to go across another doctor. So now I want to talk about the victims. Obviously, Dr. Preston Phillips, he was an orthopedic surgeon. He had decades of experience and a career in that field. Uh, he was 59 years old. He was a 1990 graduate. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Of Harvard Medical School. Wow. Had received advanced degrees from Emory University and had completed two fellowships at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston. Wow. I mean, a hot shot. Yeah. I mean, definitely brought something to the field of medicine. Oh, yeah, and still had years to offer. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, tragic, tragic loss. Mm -hmm. Dr. Stephanie Hewson, H-U-S-E-N, Hewson. She was Hewson. I actually did the pr pronunciation out to the side of it. Hewson. She was described as, quote, a brilliant sports medicine doctor. Oh, wow. She was 48. Hewson's ex-husband, John Reckonbill, I hope I said that right, uh, remembered her as, quote, completely genuine and, quote, the smartest person in the room. When Reckonbill met her in 1999, he said she was a physical therapist recovering from a, quote, hellacious car crash mm. and her own rehabilitation process helped her realize she wanted to become a doctor soon he said she enrolled in medical school can you imagine you just had a car crash you're going through physical therapy and you are a physical therapist and then you go and you do medical school and it also kind of speaks highly over that her ex-husband was able to speak kindly about her because you know most ex-husbands and ex-wives would be like you know fuck him right yeah that's yeah that's true <laughs> yeah um she was blocking a door oh trying to keep him out mm -hmm. and she was shot that's because horrible. she was blocking the door mm. trying to keep other people safe yeah yeah amanda glenn 40 years old she was a nurse there and also, she sometimes was uh, set up and answered the phones and things like this. Uh, I wouldn't call her a receptionist, mm -hmm. although I saw that description in uh, one of the news articles. I would say if she went to school and she's a nurse, she's a nurse. Right. She's a hero. She was a wife to Jonathan Glenn, and she had two sons, Gabe and Ian. 
And she was also blocking the door, mm. trying to protect yeah. everyone. Hero. Mm-hmm. The last victim, Mr. William Love. He was 73 years old. He was in the office with his wife, who was there for an appointment. Cheryl Lowry, this was her father, mm-hmm. said Love had gone to the hospital with his wife, Deborah, who is a patient of Dr. Phillips. Her parents were in the exam room when the shooter came down the hall, she said. Her father held the door shut to protect his wife, but the gunman fired a round through the door and killed him. Oh. Quote, the shooter couldn't get in, so he shot through the door and hit my dad. Mm. Lowry said that the bullet hit her father in the chest mm. and that her mother put pressure on the wound until police came to evacuate her. She said paramedics rushed her father to the hospital where he died. Love spent nearly three decades in the military. Wow. The 73-year-old was a retired first sergeant and served in Vietnam. He loved to travel and spend time with his eight grandchildren and six great-grandchildren. Oh, wow. Lowry says he was a really good dad and loved his grandkids. He lived for them. Now, I want to ask you something. Why did that man deserve to be shot through a door, not even looking his shooter eye to eye, when he spent that long, decades, in the military and in Vietnam? Protecting our country. Protecting our country and things, and he gets gunned down by a man that has some back pain. Can you say senseless? Uh, Yeah. I mean, that's... Absolutely ridiculous. I was going to say, I don't even have any words. Ridiculous. Mm. The carnage that this man left in his wake and then took the cowardly way out. And shot himself. And shot himself. He could have shot himself at home. And nobody else could have gotten hurt. Right. You know, I mean, all of his victims were innocent. Right. I mean, as innocent as can be, you know. But Mr. William Love, our hearts and prayers go out to you and your family. And I hope that your wife can get past all of this, Mm. you know. And I hate that someone has to tell his grandkids and his great-grandkids how this man was taken off of this Mm. earth. The senselessness behind all of this. Amanda Glenn, she has two sons that are now without a mother. Because of some douchebag. Yeah, a hero. William was a hero. Mm -hmm. Dr. Stephanie Hewson. Hero. Hero. Yeah. I mean, and then Dr. Phillips. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, a graduate from Harvard and then advanced degrees from Emory and then everything else that he's accomplished, I mean, saves lives, you know? I know, and you would think, you know, when he goes to work, well, excuse me, when he went to work every day, he was like, I'm a I'm a surgeon, I'm a back surgeon. Yeah. Surgeon. I said surgeon. Surgeon. He does the surgery. You know, I help people. I help improve their, um, their lives. Their way of life. Right. And, I mean, that's a safe profession for him. Yeah. You know, it would never run through his mind that, oh, when I go to work today, somebody might show up and shoot me. I mean, me. a disgruntled patient? I mean, yeah. come on now. Mm. It's just ridiculous. I hate it. I do. There is an ongoing investigation, uh, but I, do, I don't know what they're going to turn up, you know. I mean, no matter what they turn up, it's it's not going to help the situation. No. no. It's, it's not going to bring any of these people back. No. There were other people that were injured, mm-hmm. but but survived, you know. But the victims here are just—they're just, they're just it's, it's senseless. It's stupid. 
I mean, you have some back pain. I've got back pain. I've got back pain right now. Hell, that bed we slept on in that damn hotel had my back hurting. It was horrible. Damn. So I thought I would share. It is, you know, obviously it's true crime, but the the Tulsa, Oklahoma mass shooting at the Natalie Medical Building, I I hate it. I, I do. It's just I've been seeing it in the news. I thought I would talk about it. One of the other things I'd like to just talk about, it's not the guns, people. It's not the guns. No, it's, it's not. It's the people that are wielding the guns. Mm-hmm. You can put more stringent regulations out there on buying guns and things like this. It doesn't matter. The criminals don't care about the regulations. They're going to get the guns no matter if they're legal or illegal. That's right. They're going to get those guns. It right. does not matter. What people are trying to do in Washington is they're trying to limit the, the rifles and things. I have a rifle. I have an AR, a 223, as a matter of fact, but I also have a 40 caliber. And I'll tell you this, that 40 caliber will do just as much damage as that 223. Mm-hmm. But my 40 caliber is a pistol. I can legally carry it around on my hip. Mm-hmm. I have a permit to carry. I have a permit to conceal. But the thing is, is it does not matter. It's not the guns. It's the people. And apparently this man had a screw loose. I understand the back pain. I have back pain. You have back pain. We all have back pain. We all have any kind of pain. We all have all kinds of pain. People deal a lot with headaches and things Mm -hmm. like this. And, uh, you know, that's just not a reason to go and just shoot your doctor. You just don't do that shit. Right. He had something else going on. That's my opinion. I'm not a medical doctor. Just like to disclose that. Uh, my opinion is, is he had something else going on. Yeah. And, you know, not a lot is going to be able to be found out about that now since he shot himself mm-hmm. like a coward. Yeah. But it was not the guns. It was the person that was wielding the guns. Mm-hmm. You cannot alter someone's free will. Because that's what's making these these shootings happen is the free will. Right. So uh, hearts and prayers go out to these people. Yeah. I hope that they can uh, get on with their lives. It's going to be hard without their loved ones. But, you know, we got to stop the madness. And um, it's not a matter of taking the guns away. Because when those criminals get the guns and the government is taking your guns away, how are you going to protect yourself against the people who've got their guns illegally? Right. You know? Because they're still going to get they're them. They're going to get them. They're going to get them. You don't know how many illegal guns are out there on the streets. And I'm they're going to use you, them on innocent people. They're going to be able to walk right into your house, and you are not going to be able to protect yourself. i got to work on my axe-throwing skills. I know I said it before. But oh, shit. Give me an axe. I'll put it right in his head. <laughs> <laughs> shit. Yeah, we did the axe-throwing thing one night. I sucked. I was actually, for not doing it, you know, before, I was actually pretty good. Well, you would think with Native American in me that I would have been good. Well. And, I mean, you got Native American in you, so you really would have probably thought that we would have been freaking awesome at it. Yeah. Yeah, we're not. No. I mean, I'm good enough. I mean, we got to, when we went back, me and uh, one of the boys, he actually turned out, he'd never done it before either. He was pretty good. Mm -hmm. You know, and we were hitting moving targets and stuff. Right. So. um, Well. I wasn't good, so if something happened and we had to start hunting for our own food, I would, <laughs> I would you starve. Cook <laughs> you cook it, I'll kill it. How about that? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I was just going to say once again, mm-hmm. commend the Tulsa Police Department. Absolutely. Awesome. Yep. 
Um, and also I've added um, this guy to my list of people that are getting pineapples up their ass <laughs> in hell. There you go. Yeah. All right. So Tulsa, Oklahoma, everybody. I, uh, I'm sorry it took a little bit longer than I thought. But before we get to Jamie's story, I just want to say it doesn't matter if you're Republican, Democrat, Independent. It doesn't matter. We will listen to all sides. I think that we're more you and me. I think that we're more independent in the middle. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because, I mean, both sides have stuff that we agree with. And yeah. Both sides have stuff that we don't agree with. Absolutely. You know, we're like everybody else. We just want to live our lives. Right. We want you to be able to live yours. Right. But we also, we know that there are people out there that are trying to do whatever they can to get a leg up or to cause pain mm-hmm. and so forth and so on. I'm going to do what I got to do to protect me and mine and whoever else, you know, is in danger. Right. If I see a stranger woman in a, and her kid in a Walmart or grocery store or something like that, and she's just beating the ever-living shit out of this kid, I'm going to go and I'm going to take her and I'm going to throw her around like a rag doll. Yeah. Because yeah. She's, There's no sense in that. She is the same amount stronger than that kid as I am over her. Mm-hmm. And so what she's doing to that kid, she needs to have that done to her or him or a dad, you know, beating his kid or something like that. Well, I mean, and obviously it would have to be actual abuse, Mm -hmm. you know, not a parent just punishing their child. I mean, hell, come (laughs) on now. I I know. I'm I'm just saying I'm I'm making that distinction. I I don't want anybody thinking you would. Like no, step in. No. Or, and yeah. I'm not saying anybody out there just needs to go up to a random person that's whipping their kids and, and do something. No, I'm just telling you what I would do. Right. Don't beat your kids in front of me, people, because you're going to get me. Right. <laughs> so, anyway, enough of that shit. Let's move on. Jamie's got a, a good one. I know she does. She always does. So, let's get on to her short story. Well, you were like really current with your story mm-hmm. mine is going to take us back to 1827 that's pretty current <laughs> <laughs> my sources i remember that day <laughs> that year uh-huh my sources were newspapers.com what's that i don't know <laughs> grin.com whatever the hell that is greatbritishlife.com oh god dang because we are going to England okay and capitalpunishmentuk.org capital punishment okay yeah well I mean there was a lot of hangings <laughs> yeah there was a lot of um and there know. may or may not be a crime committed in this so. may or may not be yeah well okay and I was being sarcastic about I that. got you yeah this one is very sad. I, oh, come on. Yeah. Um, this is the story of William Corder and Maria Martin. I don't think I've ever heard of them. Come on now. You was in 1827. Yeah, but I was in a different part of the world. Oh, gotcha. So we're going to Suffolk, 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 England. <laughs> we're going to some folks, England, <laughs> some folks place. We are going to Suffolk, England, and I might or might not have said that right, but, you know, I'm from the country. Okay. Maria Martin was 27, and she was seen as the prettiest girl 
in her area, and she was seen that way since she was 17. Okay. That may be debatable, though. It might be. Her father, his name was Thomas Martin, but everybody called him Old Martin. I don't know why. I guess maybe he acted old. Um, Bunch of assholes around him. (laughs) I know. He was a mole catcher, and I looked that up. Holy shit. I looked that up, and he, that's. That's a thing? That is a thing, and it's literally what the name implies. He caught moles. Like, are we talking about moles like in the CIA, or are we talking no, about moles ground in your moles? Yard. Oh, God dang. <laughs> I need that job. <laughs> right? Anyways, old Martin was very proud of Maria. So I looked into this, and obviously he was a mole catcher, so he wasn't in upper society. And back around that time, upper society, they were the main ones that got educations. And it's still, even upper society was like the boys got like the education, education, and the girls got some, but then it was like changed to sewing and cooking because, you know, they had to keep their man happy when they got married. Oh, I thought she was going to say like etiquette school. No, it was like sewing, cooking, you know, stuff to keep the man happy. So they took home ec. Yeah, basically. Okay, gotcha. So... Like I said, old Martin, they weren't like rich or anything or even in the upper society. However, he did have Maria. She was taught lessons in reading and writing. Mm -hmm. And it said as much as was allowed within his humble means. So I'm assuming maybe he paid for a tutor to come see her. Okay. Because I tried to do a lot of research on that and didn't really see how the lower class was taught until... They started offering, um, I forgot forgot what the name was, but it was Schools for the Poor, and it was like around 1850 when that started, which is way after this story. So so. they taught them how to be poor? How to live their life poor? (laughs) No, I guess because they started saying, hey, the poor people need to have an education too. On how to get a job? Yeah, I guess. Wow. I don't know. So I'm assuming maybe old Martin hired a tutor. So... That being said, her knowing reading and writing was, you know, not very common for someone that wasn't high society. Sure. So even at that time, as time went on, like when schools were being offered, like I said, that the girls, that if they did actually get a chance to go to school, the poor girls, their schooling was often interrupted, like if they needed to help contribute to the family economy or like help take care of the family that was an excused absence is that what you're saying that yeah that was you can't go to school no more you need to come home and help the family wow yeah so no truancy officer there oh no no if you don't show up then that means you had to get a job right Hmm. so maria wanted to become a real lady she had was she like pinocchio (laughs) (laughs) no like obviously she's lower class the ladies were like the upper class, like the ladies. You know, I th- <laughs> shit. I think that, you know, we said it in my part at the beginning of this, you know, when we were talking about the whole Patreon page, I just, everybody's equal. Right. Nobody's better than anybody else. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what job you have. You know, you're not better than anybody else. Right. But the time um, period we're in. Well, yeah, no. This, yeah. There was flawed. Oh, it was flawed. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Right. You know, that's where society went wrong. Uh Uh-huh. 
society became high society and poor people. Right. And that's just wrong, you know? Anyway, I tell you what, why don't the super mega rich go and find their own planet and see how far they get without the middle and the lower class? They wouldn't get nowhere. Hell no, they wouldn't. No. You ain't got nobody to build that rocket. You ain't got nobody to launch that rocket. You ain't got nobody to make them clothes. You ain't got nobody to make them clothes that you, you know, that them expensive clothes that you wearing that was probably made in a sweatshop, you know. Right. I'm just saying nobody's better than anybody else, and every class on this earth is needed. Right. So go ahead, continue. Okay. So Maria wanted fine dresses, servants, and a carriage. So I guess, obviously, the time period we're in, like to get anywhere, I guess she had to walk, but she wanted a carriage to carry her places. And I see this kind of like young girls today when they get old, they're like, oh, I want to marry, I want to be like a Disney princess. I want to marry a prince and blah, 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 blah. So I kind of see this kind of like that. But anyways, so like I said, she was considered beautiful and she actually attracted admirers, admirers from different social positions. So she would attract, you know, the lower class. She would attract the upper class to her. And, of course, she would tell people, no, I'm going to become a lady, you know. And these men, just trying to, even back then, get into her pants would, like, encourage her dreams. Like, basically tell her what she wanted to hear. And then she would, I'm assuming, didn't wear pants. I guess lift her dress, (laughs) unfortunately. She would, like, show them her stuff? Like, you know how it is these days? A man basically wants to get into a woman's pants, so he'll tell her whatever she wants to hear in order to get her in bed. Yeah. Right. In order to get her to drop her Oh, oh, oh. I'm sorry. All right. Just cut all of that out. (laughs) Cut every bit of it out. Okay. They would say something. She would lift her dress. No. Okay. Cut all that out. Okay. (laughs) Let me start that over. Her. Like a hair. Look at here, boys. Look what I got here. <laughs> okay, let's start Look at that, that over. snapper. <laughs> Her beauty attracted admirers from different social positions, so she would attract the wealthy. She would attract the lower class. I don't want to call them poor because that's so rude. Lower class, which I guess that's kind of rude too. But yeah, I mean it is. But but anyone that she attracted in order to get her to kind of I guess go to bed because that was mainly their intention. They would, like, encourage her dreams, basically tell her what she wanted to hear, and she would be like, okay, let's go to bed. Let's go have sex. Let's go have the sex. Yeah. Okay. And, obviously, she was easy prey for her admirers. Some newspaper accounts said that she was described as simple and ignorant. I don't know. Just because you're easy prey don't mean you're simple it just means you're easily um, influenced yes so i don't see that as simple i mean she could have easily been somewhat book smart i don't want to say fully book smart because you know education back then sure but i don't know about that part i don't know if i agree with that so maria began seeing thomas quarter thomas was the son of a prosperous tenant farmer now are you saying quarter as in c-o-r-t or are you saying quarter as in Q-U-A-R-T, okay. C-O-R-D-E-R. Quarter. Quarter. Okay, got it. Yeah. Thomas Quarter. Quarter. Yeah. 
he was the son of a prosperous tenant farmer. So, you know, he was upper class. Mm -hmm. And obviously, he was able to talk her into going to bed. And she became pregnant. Now, back in these days, that was, you know, obviously a no-no. It was an embarrassment to that upper family. And it was a no-no, which I'll get into that in a little bit. Um, so she becomes pregnant, and Thomas is like, yeah, I'm not dealing with this, so I'm going to go back on over here to my rich family and just act like we ain't did nothing. <laughs> yeah. I Entitled? Don't, maybe. I don't know what happened to that child um, because that child's never mentioned again, so oh. maybe with the times, nah. maybe, you know. How diseases and stuff were back then, so probably. Oh, you mean like eighteen hundred shit? Yeah, happening. Yeah, every day, all yeah. day. Mm -hmm. okay. So, something happened. So then Peter Matthews becomes Maria's lover, and Peter was good looking. He was a middle aged man, and he had connections to the owners of Polstead Hall, which I had to look this up because I was like, well, "What is that?" And it was a sixteenth century manor house, and I guess. 1820s if you knew somebody that owned a great big house then you were somebody <laughs> i don't know why that was important but okay. apparently it was all right so maria becomes pregnant again god dang and she had a son that time okay um peter left her of course of course he did but but they were together like they have like something going on like they was open with their relationship or no or no. is this like just a one-time deal where... This was an ongoing... On and off kind of thing? This wasn't a like... Oh, so it wasn't a public thing? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I it. was trying to think I had a word that. Okay. So it was a private affair. Yes. Um, Peter left her, but he did financially support his son. Okay. So I guess kind of kudos to him. So now we're going to bring in William Quarter who is the brother of Thomas Quarter. What do they do? Just like he talk about it and be like, man, that was good. I don't think so. Okay. So William was a few years younger than Maria, and he was obviously educated because he was from the upper class, but people didn't like him. He They described him as sly or disingenuous. So I guess maybe like if he talked to you, you'd be like, yeah, this fool ain't for real. Mm. He ain't real. He was also a liar, a cheater, and he would occasionally steal. And so he was the black sheep of the family. Yes. His, One thing, you know, that I hate is a person who lies and and, and steals. As right. A thief, and, you know. Especially with his upbringing. Like, oh, yeah. Why? You've got it. Right. Why you got to steal somebody else's shit? Right. So, obviously, his father favored his brothers over him. Sure. And William was actually sent to London to find work. His father was like, get your ass on out of here. Go on to London find you a job. Tired of dealing with you. That's what you say to a thief. Right. Stop stealing people's shit. Go get a job. Right. So William made it to London. Didn't find that job. He instead became friends with petty criminals. Yeah. And the money that his father had sent him to London with, I guess, because, you know, I want to send you there, but I'm going to send you some money so you can find a place to sleep, I guess. <laughs> so William blew through the money that his father had sent with him. Well, William eventually returned to Suffolk because his brother Thomas, who we met earlier, drowned while trying to cross a frozen pond. Karma? Maybe. 
Okay. So after William returns and Thomas drowns, there was more tragedy for the family. Um, in a short space of time, his father and another brother died. Oh, yeah. That's karma. Yeah. So this left William and his brother James to run the farm with their mother. That's definitely karma. Karma for who? For her. For her. Oh, for Maria? Yeah. Oh, That's yeah. what I'm saying. I mean, this dude, like, got her pregnant. Yeah, but then, it was just And then just him. like, you know, ah, just go on about your business. You know what I mean? Just get on out of here, poor girl. Yeah, but it was karma for him, but not for his whole damn family. Well, don't know what happened to that baby. Oh, yeah. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. Okay. So, William comes back to town for all this family tragedy, and he meets Maria, and they become lovers. And their favorite place to meet was at this barn, and it was named the Red Barn. And it was named that because the roof had red tiles. And obviously because they have to keep this under wraps. I was he's just sleeping with to ask. Is no, this they're one not public? A, no. A dog. No. Because he's upper class and she's lower class. They can't be. At some point, you just, you know, if you like poking it, you need to like bring her with you. You know, hey, mom, look, this is what I got, you know. and Cause, No, because she would have been. And I'm not saying I agree with this. I'm just saying at that time, she would have been an embarrassment. Like, Yeah, well, that's her mom's problem to deal with. That's her. That's his mom's problem to deal with. I was going to say, how's that her with? mom's no, problem? His mom's problem to deal with. Right. So not, not hers. Maria gets pregnant. Oh, shit. So Maria is like, okay, William, I need you to marry me. I want you to make me a, a what's that? Um, I want you to make me an honest, honest woman. woman. And at first he's like, yeah, I'll marry you. And then he's like, because mm, his brother James is dying. I don't know what disease he had, but he was dying. So if his brother James dies, then the farm goes to William. Because also at that time, women couldn't really own things. Mm. So it would have went to William before it went to his mother. So he's like, mm, this farm finna be mine. So I don't, and? I don't know. <laughs> well... <laughs> Look, I'm not thinking like he is. I'm just telling you what was going on. I know. I'm just like, why is he, you know, he's thinking, oh, I got this, you know, this farm fiction to be mine. I don't need to be tied down or so. I, you know, is that yeah. what he's thinking? I, I, I guess. Yeah. So <sighs> when it was time for the baby to be born, William sent Maria to Sudbury, which was another town a few miles away mm. to give birth. So Maria returns home, and the infant actually died like two weeks after she returned home. So William took the baby and buried it in a field because nobody knew Maria was pregnant. And obviously they can't hold a funeral because then they would know she's an unwed mother with an infant. And then also the baby could be tied to him. Mm-hmm. So he buries it in a field. There was also rumors that the child's death might not have been natural. I didn't I didn't see all I saw was that it was rumors. I never saw anything where it was like, Oh yeah, this definitely happened or no, this didn't happen. So I don't know. Uh it depends on what you tell us what happens next. Well, so baby's born, baby died, and Maria's still like, Okay, you're supposed to be making me an honest woman. And he's like, mm, I'm going to start dragging my feet over getting married. Well, you remember I told you that the father of her living son was paying child support for him. Right, right. Well, Maria 
is starting to suspect that William was stealing some of the money that was sent to her by that child's father, Peter. So they're kind of meowing back and forth. He's dragging his feet. Maria's like, you're stealing my money that's sent to me for my child. So William's like, well, you know what? I heard that there is a warrant that's been issued for your arrest because you've been bearing illegitimate children. And what this was a thing. Fuck? This was a thing. She could have been arrested because she had illegitimate children. Well, at this time, she only has one that she had with Peter. But yeah. This was a thing. And I was like, whoa. What? I don't understand. I really don't understand. I don't did you say, either. Did you say burying? Burying. Birthing. Birthing. Ill- birthing. So it was a law that mm-hmm. you couldn't give birth mm-hmm. to an illegitimate child. Right. Mm-hmm. You had to be married? Yes. That was a law. Yes. Because they issued a warrant for her arrest. Oh, that was true. That that I thought he was bullshitting her. Like, you know. It, it was possible that it could happen. Mm. Yeah. That is, oh my God. Yeah. Okay. So, finally William's like, mm, yeah, let's get married. So, on Sunday, May the 13th of 1827, William actually showed up at Maria's house. And he was saying that he had arranged for him and her to be married in Ipswich. And they would leave on Friday, May 18th. So, on Friday, William arrived at Maria's house. She lived with her parents, which her mother was actually her stepmother because her, her real mother died. Mm-hmm. So, her, it was actually her stepmother. Um, and he, so, he shows up at the house. Maria had gotten a bag of her belongings together, and she had a black velvet drawstring purse and her umbrella, and these will come back. So, remember those two. Okay. So he told Maria, he's like, meet me in the red barn. Well, Maria, since she has a warrant out for her, supposedly has a warrant out for her arrest, can't just go out walking the streets. So she actually dressed in men's clothing to walk to the red barn. So she leaves, goes to the red barn. Now, Maria's family was there when William came to collect her. Okay. So she heads to the red barn. And nobody sees anything. Everybody's like, okay, well, they're going to meet there. And then they're going to leave from there. Because William was going to have her bags and stuff there for her. Okay. A few hours later, Maria's younger brother, George, actually saw William heading toward his farm from the barn. And he had a pickaxe on his shoulder. And George is like, they're supposed to be leaving and heading toward Ipswich. So why a few hours later... Am I seeing him mm. by himself? And so he mentioned it, and everybody was just kind of like, are you sure it was him? Or, you know, maybe he was doing something before they had to leave. You know, nothing that anybody was really worried about at this time. Okay. So about a week later, William returned to the Martins, and he told them that him and Maria weren't married yet because their license had to be sent to London because of some informality. Maria didn't come with him. He came by himself. And he tells them, look, it's going to be up to six weeks before we can get married. So she's just going to, you know, hang out until we get married. And then, you know, we'll come back. Well, a week after that visit, he comes back and he says, Miss Martin, uh, Maria's stepmother, actually mentioned, she's like, you were seen leaving the barn with the pickaxe. And he's like, that wasn't me. (laughs) And he's like, (laughs) no, I wasn't. That was not me. What the fuck are you talking about, lady? 
I don't even have a pickaxe. How dare you accuse me? I've had two weeks to get rid of that son of a bitch. What right? are you talking about? Prove it. So he tells her family that Maria was staying with his friend, Mrs. Rowland, who was well off. She was a rich lady. Sure. And Miss Martin was like, well, why hasn't Maria written us? And William's like, oh. she don't know how to write. <laughs> he was like, well, you know, she's been busy. Oh, and also she has a bad hand. Her hand is tired. <laughs> right? So William's brother James did die in August. So the Martins go to the funeral and I guess other a bunch of other people in town. So at the funeral, Mrs. Martin sees William with Maria's umbrella at the funeral. And of course, Maria didn't come to the funeral. So Mrs. Martin confronted him. She's like, why do you have Maria's umbrella? Like, wherever Maria is, she would need her umbrella. And he's like, this ain't Maria's umbrella. I bought this from a shop. And Mrs. Martin was like, mm. Bitch, so she, it's got flowers on it. <laughs> so she, she let it slide that time. So a little time after this, Miss Martin saw him again with the umbrella. Except for this time, he said that, oh, I was mistaken last time. I didn't buy it from a shop. It was Maria's. And the reason why I have it this time is because I borrowed it from her. And it's kind of like, Come on, man. Wow. Come on, dude. <laughs> you are looking very suspicious. See, all this high-class education. And he's and a dumbass. And you look how fucking stupid this guy looks. Yeah. I mean, oh, oh, wait, wait. That wasn't me. You dude, didn't see come me. Come on now. Yeah. Come on. So, after his brother died, obviously... William becomes busy managing the family farm. After harvest time, he decides, I'm going to leave this village. Because, you know, he was still staying at the village and still saying Maria was staying with Mrs. Rowland. And he tells everybody, oh, I'm leaving the village. It's due to my health, whatever. And he did tell the Martins that he was meeting Maria in Ipswich so they could finally be married and that they're probably going to visit the Isle of Wight. The Isle of Wight people? Not white people, white. Okay, then. So, William leaves. Well, then he sends a letter to Maria's family from London. Oh, my God. And he tells them, hey, we're married and we're living at the Isle of Wight. And he tells her family, he's like, I'm actually in London on family business. So, Maria's not with me, which is why Maria's not writing the letter. Because my family doesn't like her. Right. Because she's not upper class. But I married her anyway. Right. And he said that as soon as he got back to the aisle and him and Maria got settled, that Maria wanted her son because her son stayed with her parents. Okay. Yeah. So the Martins are really like, something's not right here, you know? Duh. Right. So they're getting more suspicious. However, back in London, William places a matrimonial ad in a newspaper. Looking for somebody to replace this woman. That I'm supposed to be married. Right. So, in November of 1827, he married Mary Moore, who he met in an ad. Is that like the the historic tender? I think so. Mm hmm Mary Moore owned a ladies' school. Oh, she owns something. Yeah, she okay. owns something. And so, William moved in with her. Cause oh, I'm sure. He's a douchebag. He's just going to use her money. Mm-hmm. So sometime in March of 1828, Mrs. Martin begins having dreams that Maria is dead. 
and is buried in the red barn yeah so which at the end of the story i'll give a little more info on that so on april 19th after these dreams mrs martin told mr martin or old martin i think you really need to go look in that red barn so mr martin gets mr prike and he was actually the quarter family's bailiff who and a bailiff was an agent of a landowner so yeah so they went both of them they searched the red barn and they found some earth in there that looked like it had been disturbed so they started poking at that spot with the fucking stick no with the handle of a rake and a mole pike so they just started poking it yeah just kind of i guess instead of digging it up just kind of poking it to see if they could feel anything under it that's so stupid well let's just sit there poking it no they were like poking down in it okay yeah they were digging yeah because the mole pike actually had oh okay yeah well when they pulled at one of the times that they poked in the ground the mole pike actually ended up having a piece of flesh on it when they brought it up So, it was Maria. Her badly decomposed corpse had to be identified by her sister, Anne. And she had identified it from the clothes that she was wearing, the color of the hair, and there was a a gap in her teeth. So, she was like, that's her. Mm. Yeah. Tightly wrapped around Maria's neck was a green handkerchief that belonged to William. Mm. The cause of death wasn't easy to identify clearly. Really? Yeah. Because she was decomposed. Um, But they could tell that she had been shot. And it said the ball, so I'm assuming that was probably the bullet, passed through her left cheek and settled in her neck. This was 1800s? Yes. 1820? 1827. Yeah. It's going to be a black powder pistol. Okay. With a ball. Okay. So it was an actual ball. Yeah. It settled in her neck. And she was stabbed between the fifth and sixth ribs, which also pierced her heart and Damn. it also she was also stabbed on the right side of her neck Damn. yeah so they're like oh well obviously we know who did this <laughs> so william was arrested in london and they searched his wife's house because they said a search of his house but that wasn't his house that was his wife's house <laughs> they found a black velvet drawstring purse remember i told you to yep. remember that mm-hmm. that had two pistols inside and a sword. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Which was sword, I'm assuming, is probably not like sword we consider these days, like really long, because yeah. I don't know how you would fit that in a purse. Right. Probably a dagger. Yeah. William came to trial on August 7th of 1828. He was charged with 10 counts of murder. Now, yeah. I 10? Did, 10. Just listen. I didn't write down all the different counts because each count was worded like this way and that way. And it was like, what? So they did the 10 counts so that that way they could make sure something stuck. So like one count was, you know, if you believe that he shot her. Another count was if you believe that he stabbed her in the heart. Another count was if you believe he strangled her. Because like I said, they didn't have. But he was found guilty of everything. He was found guilty. I don't think it oh, said... Oh, you said charged. I'm sorry. They threw 10 counts at him, so one of them would stick. I got you. Yeah. So, Something. like, if you don't think she was strangled, then do you think he shot her? Right. If you don't think he shot her, then do you think he stabbed her? So, you know what I'm... Yeah. Sure. So, something. Yeah. 
like they would hear these days first and second degree or something and the jury will come back on second right they didn't find him guilty on first right you know yeah because if they don't find you guilty on one of those things you can't be tried again now i don't know about london back in the 1820s but so like i said there's 10 different counts i'm going to read off one count okay this is the first count all right and this is why i did not read off all 10 okay okay word for word first count the jurors of our lord the king upon their oath present that william quarter late of the parish of polstead and suffolk yeoman he was a yeoman which was a land worker farmer, okay on the 18th of may with force and arms in and upon one maria martin not having the fear of god then in their being feloniously willfully and of his malice afterthought did make an assault and that they said william quarter a certain pistol of it says two's value i don't know what that means okay then and there charged with gunpowder and one leaden bullet and this is in parentheses which pistol he the said william quarter in his right hand then and there had inhaled in the parentheses then and there feloniously willfully and of his malice afterthought did discharge and shoot off at against and upon the said maria martin and the said william quarter with the leaden bullet aforesaid out of the pistol aforesaid by the said william quarter discharged and shot off then and there feloniously willfully did strike penetrate and wound the said maria martin in and upon the left side of the face of her the said maria martin giving her the said maria martin one mortal wound of the death of four inches and the breadth of half an inch of which said mortal wound she the said maria martin then and there instantly died and so the jurors aforesaid upon their oaths do say that the said william quarter her the said maria martin did kill and murder that's just count one <laughs> i mean how, how long did it take to read all of this and the jurors are like what the fuck am i supposed to do with this yeah let me okay here's the fourth count this one's really short well i guess i can't do that one without reading the second <laughs> don't, don't worry about <laughs> yeah, it yeah basically this one says the same as the last except alleging that the mortal wound was given by means of a sword on the right side of the neck of the said maria martin like why couldn't it just said that, the first one yeah because the first and second one are really long that's just ridiculous and the seventh one but yeah i so, mean i understand the need for detail that was too detailed yeah i mean how many times could they say her name in there you either took this gun and you shot and hit her and killed her or you didn't you know this should be that easy right but. so after the case against william had been made it was his turn and he actually spoke for himself which he should not have done so he admitted his connection to that in his words unfortunate girl <laughs> you <laughs> douchebag you fucking asshole he said that it was true that he sent her to sudbury for the birth of their child and that the child died within two weeks of maria returning home with the child he said it was natural causes that the child died of and that he buried the child in a field so that it would remain a secret 
He said that after the child was buried, Maria came to his mother's house and she entered by a private staircase so nobody seen her. And he actually kept her hidden in his room for two days. And he figures this is how she came into possession of his gun while she was in his room for two days. He said that Maria was experiencing depression and his friends were telling him, hey, she's an unfortunate girl, so you don't need to be with her, you know. You need to find you somebody else. You're more your social standing. And he also suspected that she was corresponding with a man in London. So he's like, I didn't want to marry her. You're a douchebag. But then he finally agreed, yeah, I did want to marry her. So he also said that he didn't remember ever saying that Maria had a warrant. But if he did say it, he must have been under the impression that there was a warrant for her arrest. Now, wait a minute. I'm glad that you brought that back up because a warrant for her arrest for bearing illegitimate children, you just admitted to getting her pregnant uh-huh. and it was your child. Uh-huh. And you basically admitted to procrastinating on marrying her, forcing her into the warrant, the right. said warrant of bearing an, Ill- an illegitimate child. Right. You just admitted to doing that to this woman and causing that warrant. Right. Which it's never said if she really actually had a warrant. But if that was a thing. Right. That's what I'm saying. If that was a thing, you helped cause that. You actually forced her into that. And I mean, she didn't lay down by herself and make the baby by herself. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bearing illegitimate children like, you know, she was pregnant by some unseen force or some shit. You right. know what I'm saying? I mean, he just admitted that to the courts. Right. Which this is kind of making me think that she didn't have a warrant because now he's kind of backtracking. He's kind of like, if I said she had it. We call that crawfishing here yeah. in Louisiana. If I said she had it, it might have been because I was under the impression that she had one. Yeah, well. Whatever. So, he stated that when they made it to the Red Barn, him and Maria got into an argument, and he tells her, if you're arguing with me like this right now, how are you going to act after we're married? Oh, my. And she, he says she also told him while they were there that he was just too proud to marry her, which I can, I can see her saying that. He's also too proud to work the farm that got him into that high society life that he has. Yeah. And so he decided to leave that. Right. Because his ass was too lazy to work the farm. And I don't think it was that he was too lazy to work the farm. I mean, the farm was pretty close to the Martin home. So maybe he just kind of got tired of running into the Martins in town. Because I'm sure they're, he's probably thinking, oh, they're getting suspicious. Yeah, maybe. But but why would you send fucking letters when you moved off? Yeah. I, I don't know. Whatever. So she told him that. She thought that he thought that he was too proud to marry her. And basically, he's like, I was done arguing with her, so I left the barn. And he said that he had gotten no more than 10 feet from the barn when he heard his gun go off, which still don't explain the stabbing. But anyways. It still don't explain the burying either. Right. But he did say that he was afraid of being accused of murdering her, so he buried her. You were afraid of being accused of doing something that you actually did? Right. So, anyways, he was found guilty. He was sentenced to hang, and he was going to be executed on Monday, August 11th. Remember, I said the trial started on August the 7th, so they did not play. Hell no. And the judge further decreed that William's body would be dissected and anatomized. 
So what they did back then, <laughs> criminals, their bodies were actually donated to like medical schools and stuff, yeah. and it, it would help improve surgical yeah. surgical skill and medical teaching. So, and, oh, and by the way, you're donating your body to science. That's right. <laughs> Court order. <laughs> no burial for you. That's right. So Quarter in his last couple of days he's in jail and he's in agony and he's in uncertainty oh my god so the prison chaplain actually came and visited with him visited with him and the chaplain was like okay you're condemned so if you've got a confession you need to make it yeah i mean because that's what prison chaplains are for mm -hmm. and finally uh william was like i did shoot her we did have a fight and i shot her but i didn't stab her well, okay. Really? So, when he was hanged, there was a huge crowd there. Now, some papers said it was like 7,000. Some papers said it was 20,000. What? Right. So, but it was a lot. I mean, a thousand people would be a lot. <laughs> I know, just I mean, to see somebody shit. hang. But, Damn. I mean, they didn't have TV, so I guess they kind of had to have something to do. <laughs> Did they get to throw food at him before, you know? No. Um, his body hung there for an hour before it was finally cut down. Afterwards, his body was exhibited with the stomach sliced open at the county hall. Good. Around 5,000 people walked through to view it. Because this was seen as kind of a lesson to criminals. Like, if you do crime and you get hanged, this is what's going to happen to you. <laughs> so, also a phrenology bust and a death mask were made. And we discussed phrenology before. I think it was in the uh, Jesse Pomeroy case where a phrenologist kind of studies the, like, the lumps. The bumps and, on your head? Yes. Yep. So that was made. And I'm not going to say the findings from it because I it's not a real science. It's a pseudoscience. Sure. So, yeah. So after the hanging, the hangman sold pieces of the rope that hung him. He can do that? I guess so. One of William's ears that was still attached to his scalp was actually stolen from the autopsy and was put on display. Oh, man, I thought she was fixing to say it was put on eBay. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was put on display. A lock of Maria's hair was actually auctioned off, and her gravestone was destroyed by souvenir hunters that would chip pieces off of it. William's skeleton was originally meant to be a teaching aid at a hospital, obviously, but was soon repurposed as a fundraising tool. So I didn't see any detail on that. Like, like did y'all auction it off? Or? The hospital was like, uh, yeah, we're not going to teach anybody anything with this. We just want to make money. We just want to get the money. So we're going to auction this off. So another little interesting story. His skull was, it was either bought or it was stolen. Nobody knows. Um by uh, the collector of Red Barn. It was, I guess, the stuff from, like, her hair and the pieces of her gravestone and all that was called Red Barn Memorabilia. So the skull actually ended up with Dr. John Kilner. And he, when he acquired the skull, he already had the ear and the scalp. So he added this to his little collection. However, after he acquired the skull, he had to run a bad luck and many uncanny incidents, and he was finally like, Ugh, I think the skull might be bad luck. So he actually gave the skull a Christian burial. He found a priest that was willing to bury the skull. So, but the 
name of the priest is not stated. Mm. The scalp actually wound up in the Moises Hall Museum in Suffolk, along with a book that contained an account of the murder that was bound in William's skin. And this is still there today. The scalp in the ear in the book that is bound with his skin. So it was bound after? So somebody wrote a book. Yes. On the murder. Yeah. And they used his skin. Yes. To bound the book. Yes. And I seen a picture of it. Oh, you did? I did. Oh, God. And I guess when we upload this, we're going to have to add a picture of it because it's in a display case along with the scalp and the ear. How are they preserving that? Well, the scalp and the ear didn't look too preserved because it was black. Oh, Um, shit. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, that's crazy the skeleton was eventually put on display at the hunterian museum in london however in 2004 it was taken down and cremated after a descendant of williams made an appeal to the royal college of surgeons like hey can we please have the skeleton you know give it a proper burial so they got the skeleton and they had it cremated in 2004 in 2004 like okay so i want to this story this is another side story or maybe i didn't see a lot of um emphasis put on this in the newspapers so i didn't put a lot of emphasis on this but when you google the story you do see this coming up so i'm just going to add this at the end and let everybody kind of make their own decision on what they want to do um like internet stories they kind of focus on maria's stepmother where I told you she was having dreams. Right. So they focus on that a lot. Well, Maria's stepmother was actually only a year older than Maria. Mm. So there's rumors that maybe William had something going on with Maria's stepmother also. And maybe she started dreaming of what happened because she actually knew what happened. And she was mad because she found out that William married Mary when he was in London Hmm. so did she know more than she was saying maybe that's why she had the supposed dreams because she actually knew because everybody was saying why would William tell Maria to meet him at the red barn with her family knowing that that's where she was going that's what I'm saying I mean that doesn't make any sense so I don't know take with that what you want what you will whether you believe that she was actually having dreams and this has innocently led her there, or if you believe she had a thing going with him and she was like, oh, yeah, I'm finna say I'm having some dreams and I'm going to lead them to her body because you're a douchebag and you done married Mary. Oh, and at the time of his trial, Mary was pregnant. With his child? With his child. With Oh, it was proven. It was his child. I don't guess it was ever proven, but, I mean, they were married, so... She was pregnant with his child. Mm. I don't know. Wow. That's... mm. So, poor Maria. Yeah. She just wanted to be married, wanted to be an honest woman. Yeah. Because, unfortunately, the people back then called her children bastard children, which is horrible. It is. And here's this douchebag. Yeah, girl, I'm going to marry you. And then, nah, I ain't going to marry you. Wow. Why not just tell her you're not going to marry her? Why did you have to kill her? You know what I'm saying? I know. I mean... Why not just go on about your business? High society. The rich versus the poor. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So that's that. Wow. That's crazy. I thought that the stepmom was a witch. 
And you know what? She might have been. I'm, I don't know. Uh, and maybe she did innocently have the dreams and was pointed toward this. Maybe she did. I don't know. She I mean, could she have. She doesn't have any blood connection to Maria. Right. So I don't know. That's crazy. Right. So take with that what you want as far yeah. as the stepmother's dreams. Okay. So I hope you guys all enjoyed the criminally disturbed double feature. Two, mm-hmm. two short stories that we put into one episode. So that was a couple of crazy stories that we had for you. Definitely want to um, keep you guys listening. Uh, we are working on some others uh, that we're going to be recording very soon. So stay tuned for that. And until those next episodes, I'm Paul. And I'm Jamie. And please join us next time. And remember to stay disturbed. Bye. Bye.